What's good, people? How y'all doing? It's Pastor Corey, one of the pastors here at the Movement Church, and I am so grateful to be joining with you guys this morning right over the live stream uh, as we continue walking through our series, Jesus is King. I hope you guys have been had a blessed week. Uh, despite everything that's been going on, despite all the controversy that may be going on with when we're going to open and when we don't open. But I do know this to be true. Jesus is still king. He still sits on the throne. So I hope you'll be blessed this morning and rock with me. I'm going to pray and then we're going to dive right in. Let's do it. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this beautiful, beautiful day that you've created. Father God, no matter where we may be, no matter what may be happening on the outside, Father God, we know that, that all that you've created is beautiful. And so, Father God, we say thank you this morning. We thank you that it's in you that we live and we move and have our very being, that we have life, that we woke up this morning. Father God, we say thank you. So for all of us that are joining in together, that are connected through the airways, Father God, I would pray that we could find um, joy and gladness in the fact that we are living and we are alive. Father God, I pray that you would have your way during this time. I pray all of you, none of me, hide me behind your cross, Father God, that, these, that those that are listening, Father God, may get all of your word, not my opinion, protect these people from my thoughts and opinions, that they may get just the truth of your word. I decrease now that you may increase in me, Father God. I pray that the, that the heart, the eyes of their heart will be enlightened, Father God, that they would understand and grasp this truth, Father God, that they would not be hindered, Father God, from hearing and grasping and understanding what's being taught this morning, Father, in Jesus' name. I pray that you would do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we can ask or think, that no one will leave this time, Father God, that is focusing in on this live the same way that they showed up. Thank you so much, Father God, for my church family, Father God, for the movement church. Thank you for, for our community. Thank you for our time of worship and praise this morning, Father God. We just pray that you will be glorified during this time. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen, guys. Listen, there's this quote by pastor and author Tim Keller, and he says this. He says, the gospel has been described as a pool in which a toddler can wade and yet an elephant can swim. It is both simple enough to tell a child and profound enough for the greatest minds to explore. The gospel is, is both shallow enough for a child to be in and deep enough for an elephant to take a bath. It's amazing to think about how shallow and deep the gospel is, but this is what I truly understand and know, that the gospel is worth sharing. It's worth actually talking about and engaging with our community. And that's exactly what we get to talk about this morning as we are moving into chapter 10 of Matthew, continuing in our series, Jesus is King. And as we start this process, we're really hearing from Jesus and getting instructions on how we go out and do just that, share the gospel. The first nine chapters of Matthew that we've went through, the disciples have only been asked to watch, right? They've watched Jesus heal people. They've watched Jesus 
take control and authority over sickness and disease. They've watched Jesus actually control the winds and the waves. They've watched Jesus do amazing miracles throughout these chapters, even watching Jesus cast out demons. They've only been asked to watch, right? I coach basketball, and one of the things usually when I'm teaching, I start off by saying, hey, watch me do this. Whether it's a move, whether it's shooting form, I'm asking them to watch first. So all the disciples, they've been spending their time watching. All through chapter 8 and chapter 9, they're getting to see Jesus perform. Just in chapters 9 and 8, Jesus performs 10 miracles. He's healing sick little girls. He's healing people that are paralyzed. He is casting out demons. He is actually bringing peace to a storm, and they see all of this happening. We even get to the end, and he's healing two blind men, men, and even healing a mute guy that begins to speak because of the wonderful grace of Jesus Christ. And Jesus does all of this, why? To, to add to his proclamation that he is king because he is the son of God. And they got to see, they got to witness all of it. But now we're transitioning right here at the end of chapter nine, and we're going to start in big number nine, chapter nine, Matthew chapter nine, and we're going we're to start in small number 35. And what we see here is this transitional paragraph, both as a summary of the ministry that has already taken place and has already happened in the first nine chapters, but it also gives us a, a, a closing declaration or a closing proclamation going forward of Jesus' amazing grace. Look at verse 35. It says this, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in the synagogue and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Before we dig into this, let me be clear. Being sent out as laborers is not based upon the laborers' qualifications. Jesus is not sending out based on their particular qualifications. He did not have an application process. He did not sit down and vet and say, hey, what qualifications do you have to be on my team? What we understand here is these qualifications are based on the Savior's qualifications. They're based on what Jesus brings to the table, not on these guys that he's calling to go out brings to the table. As he's talking to them, he's not basing this on what they have already been able to do, mainly because we just highlighted the fact that they've just been watching. These guys have just been watchers. Matthew lays out why we labor and why these disciples should labor. 
It also lays out how we labor and why we look to Christ as we labor. And so this is what we get here. I know the culture tells us that the way we put together a team is we gather all the most successful shining stars. We put all the best people together. And when we get all the best people, that's going to mean we're going to have the best situation. Even as we look at things like the NBA, the thing now has become, let's put together super teams. And I'm not mad at it. But in essence, let's get all the best players we could possibly get. And this is what helps us put together a championship team. But this is not Jesus' method. As a matter of fact, he puts together a motley crew of dudes. And we're going to learn who they are. He put together not the most talented, not the most gifted, not the most popular guys in the community. As a matter of fact, he put together a group of guys that some people would have thought, Man, he got the worst team. So here's the context of what we're looking at here. It, it would seem that Jesus is calling us to what I love to talk about, which is risk. Risk takers. And this risk taking discipleship spoke about right here in scripture. It's, it's not something that can be realized until we have eyes as Jesus has. What we recognize right here in verse 36 is it says, when he saw the crowd, Jesus recognized something. He saw something in the crowd. As he's going throughout these villages and he's healing people and serving people and it's got this whole crowd. Let me tell you, there is, uh, I'm sure many pastors are like me and would love to have a crowd of people to speak to. Would love to have followers that we have an opportunity to share the gospel with. But what happened here, Jesus didn't marvel at the numbers of people that were there. He began to feel sorry for the people that are there. He saw the crowd and he had compassion on them. The Greek word used here for the word compassion is splontnisma. And what that word means is he was moved in his inward parts with pity. Like it, it, it got down in his belly. It was like a gut punch and he felt it. He feels this compassion. He saw the people that were coming and he saw them as the word says, as harassed and helpless. These people that he are trying to help and trying to serve, he saw them as harassed and helpers, helpless. And he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. This is what he's recognizing. So he's not just seeing them as people in need. He's not just pushing them the way as beggars. Oh, you just want something. That Jesus is actually recognizing them and saying, man, these people need help. That in essence, he's saying they don't have the proper leadership or the proper direction and it's making him feel sick to his stomach. And this is why Jesus begins to call laborers. It says here, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, then he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There's not an issue with the harvest. 
He's saying these people need someone to follow. And he's commissioning his disciples to help him in this work. This work that is motivated by compassion. That in essence, we needed to, we needed to recognize some things. And three things we need to recognize. We need to be able to see with clarity. And the word I would use there when we think about clarity would be the word burden. My God, DeHotty Lewis talks a lot about that in his book, Among Wolves. And he's, he's, he's talking about the fact that there has to be a burden. The problem isn't that there's not enough harvest. The, har- the problem isn't that there aren't enough people in need. The, har- the problem is there are not enough laborers. And God is calling us to pray for those laborers. But not only does he want us to see with clarity, he also wants us to feel with compassion. That is not enough to see the need. It's not enough to see that they are harassed and helpless. It is a necessity that we feel or we have concern for those in need. Because we are understanding, or Matthew describes those people as harassed and helpless. How do we respond to people that are harassed and helpless? It's a completely different response if we view them as just being those trying to get over, or we view them as people as just takers. If that's the way we see them, then we're going to respond differently than if we see them as people that are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. See, like many of us, they are, these that we're looking at are chasing the pleasures of life and searching for satisfaction apart from God. And every time we begin to pursue satisfactions and pleasures and things apart from God, the road doesn't end well. See, the road, or the road towards success or satisfaction or this pursuit of sex and money and relationships and pleasures aside from God ultimately ends in emptiness. And this is what Jesus is recognizing. He knew it. These crowds desperately needed him. They needed, needed a merciful shepherd. And he's recognizing this. So not only do we need to see with clarity have a burden. We not only need to feel with compassion, be concerned, we also need to pray. Before I get to pray, we also need to, yes, no, we need to pray. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, here's the harvest, now go. He said, here's the harvest, now pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. And this is not some, God is not calling us to this space of passivity. Prayer is not, a, not an activity meaning that we should be passive, but it is an activity that calls for purpose and determination. It calls for, for intentionality. For some of us as believers, sometimes the hardest thing for us is to get concentrated personal time in prayer. That it has to be intentional. My man, um, Antonio, has this album called A Man of War. And he's talking about the fact that God is willing to, and he does, go to war for us. Do we find ourselves in war on our knees? 
praying for our community, praying for people. The first time right here we see this, this term, right, at, right when we walk into chapter 10, we leave out of chapter 9 and we see this term. And at the very, very beginning of chapter 10, verse 1, it says, And he called him, he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out. So he says he calls to them. But in essence, he's calling them to be to, to go. And this call in the beginning is is a different type of call. Right. It's it's a it's almost like a a, a military call. Because in addition to this phrase of being sent out, it not only mentions this, this phrase is mentioned twice in the New Testament. And it comes from the Greek word ekbola, right? Ekbolo, which means to force out. So when we're looking at, at, at chapter 9 at the end in verse 37, we're talking about being forced out. He's saying pray that we get forced out. He's telling us to pray with desperation that the Lord will force us out of our comfort, that he would force us out to serve the masses of people wanting and needing to follow Jesus. Can you think about that? Like, that's probably not what our prayer is. But I believe we should be praying that God would force us out, out of our comfort zone, out of what makes us feel comfortable, out of what makes us feel relaxed and put us in a space where we are uncomfortable, but we're becoming more comfortable with being uncomfortable. Listen, if, if, if we're honest, if I'm honest, if we're honest, we would admit that there are many aspects of our, our life that we just don't want to mess with. That so many aspects of our lives trump God's call to actually be on mission. There's so many other things that we got going on. We got bills, we got our own sicknesses and trials and and all these other things that are going on in our lives, jobs and children and other responsibilities. And often it seems it's those things that trump God's call for us to be on mission. Here's the thing. God knows that most of the time we're going to choose the path of least resistance. We're going to choose the path that that gives us the least amount of discomfort. As a matter of fact, some of us may be addicted to comfort. We like to be we like to be good. We like to be sitting in our space. We like to be at our own homes. We like to find a space that makes us feel comfortable. And we won't naturally become laborers and leaders if God doesn't force us out and cause us to do it. That some of us will just slide back, slide to the corner, and shy away from being the laborers that God has called us to be. But Jesus is essentially telling his disciples, pray to the Lord of the harvest, pray earnestly. But as you pray, pray that God would force us out of our comfort. Force us out of this this space of just being comfortable. And I'm not talking about just simply praying, Lord, change the people in my town. Lord, just just save the people in my neighborhood. I'm I'm not just talking that. 
Because we can just do that and then we get up and then we lay the burden aside and then we go on doing whatever we've been doing. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm honestly talking about, Jesus is asking for earnest prayers that align with his will. As he says, Lord, we want to see the gospel be established in our neighborhood and we want it desperately. Colossians 1.16 talks about that all things are created through, for, and by God. What does it look like to have a community that reflects that truth? That reflects the truth that it was, that it was created for God and by God. That's what we're hoping for, that God would force us out. Even if he has to bring disease, even if you have to bring persecution, even if you have to bring whatever you bring, let your will be done, not our will be done. And I believe we're in a space now that God is kind of forcing us out in a way. That this coronavirus has forced us out. When I'm on Facebook or any social media, it's feel the timeline is full of people just sharing and talking about what they may know or what they've been doing. That Sunday morning, the timeline is filled with watch parties and everybody is sharing the message that may be happening in their service. And I hope that when this is over and everything opens up, we don't just go back to life as normal. We don't go back to what we were doing before, but that we are now motivated And I would hope that God doesn't leave it up to us. Why? Because we, we, may, we may slide back into that space. I pray that God would fill our hearts with conviction and force us out to continue to serve. Look at chapter 10, verse 1. And, and this is the idea we move from praying intently, earnestly, to now it's time to go. In verse 1, Jesus calls these 12 disciples to himself, and the language that we see here in Matthew is more like a language of him summoning, summoning them to him. It's like a military commander calling his soldiers together to give them orders. Listen, it says, and he called to them, his 12 disciples, and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Up until this point, they've only been watching Jesus do this. But now Jesus is handing out authority to them. He's investing in them authority to do the exact same thing that he's been doing. And he's saying to them, listen, you have authority over. You've seen me have authority over unclean spirits. Now you have authority over unclean spirits. Every affliction. And then he names those disciples. He starts naming all of them. He says, first there's Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and the, uh, Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, Icarus, who portrayed him, who would later be replaced by Matthias. But this is what we see. He's calling his soldiers together. 
Just so we understand this, Jesus' words at this beginning, beginning of the chapter, are specifically for these 12 disciples for this particular occasion in this particular time. And let me tell you why. Because if, if we move to the end, if we flip all the way to Matthew chapter 28, we hear Jesus telling them to go unto all nations to make disciples. He's not just saying go to just the Jews and not to the Gentiles. But in essence, once we get to the end of this chapter, Jesus is proclaiming and and charging these very same disciples to take this gospel message all over the world. So this is only particular to this time, this occasion right now. But what is he calling them to go to? Verse five. It says this, these 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he's saying to them, go and proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He says, heal the sick, raise the dead, Cleanse leopards, cast out demons. You have received without pay, so give without pay. That in essence, I want you, what you have freely received, I want you to freely give. So I'm thinking to myself, this is Jesus' target group. Like, he didn't go get the best. He went and got the outcasts. Like one of these disciples, it is known that he is a tax collector, and tax collectors are hated. They're always grouped in there with the prostitutes and the sinners. So he went and recruited a tax collector to now not only invest in him the same authority he had over demons and over sickness and disease, but to go to these people and proclaim this truth and proclaim this gospel. And he says to them, I want you to go to disease. I want you to go to the dying. I want you to go to the despised. In essence, he says, go to the disease. Why? Because we're called to the sick, not to the well. He says, go to the dying. Why? Because I want to see the dead be raised. He says, go to the despised. Cleanse those that have leprosy. Cleanse those that have been unclean. Jesus is calling these men to risk. He's not calling them to go deal with the healthy people. Go, go safely preach in the synagogue. Go safely preach in your own house. He's saying, listen, I need you to go where the people are in need. I need you to be where the people need help. I need you to go where they are helpless and harassed. He says, I need you to go into danger. Can you imagine that? Like, this is his request to these guys. I need you to go into the dangerous spots. And this is how he talks about it. Move down to verse 16. He says, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. He says, I am sending you out as sheep among or in the midst of wolves. Now, we're talking about Jesus, the good shepherd, and sending his sheep in the midst of wolves. Now, if you're thinking like I'm thinking, you're going, Jesus is a good shepherd. Why would a good shepherd send his sheep to go hang out 
with wolves. It's, it, it's like he is saying, I need you to be, as, be foolish sheep. Not smart sheep. I need you to be foolish sheep. I need you to go hang out with the wolves. He's telling these disciples and he's telling us by implication to go into the dangerous places where we will find ourselves among the evil, ferocious people. I grew up, I, I guess I can say in the hood, so to speak. And the natural thought in my mind is when you're going amongst the evil and the ferocious, you need to be evil and ferocious, right? You, you, in your mind, you think, if, if I go into this community and they can smell fear on me, or if they can know I'm a little shaky, then they're going to try me, right? So I can't, I can't go into, into the space or into the den of the evil and the ferocious and not be prepared. So most of us, if we think a space isn't safe, then it must not be God. If the, if the situation isn't safe, God can't be into that. He can't be in the, it's sending us into something that's dangerous and risky, something that can cause us harm. That, that can't be God. Why? Because God wants us to be happy. God wants us to be safe. God is supposed to protect us. But what we're reading here doesn't line up with that. Here's the thing. Listen to this. Those are not the criteria by which we determine God's desire for us. Safety, non-risky, that's not the criteria we use to determine if God is calling us to something. We go like sheep among wolves. And though it may look foolish and unwise to other people, we are to be obedient to what God has called us to. Let me tell you, when me and my wife packed up and moved to Homestead, Florida, let me tell you, all of our family was not thrilled. Everybody wasn't like, oh my God, this is absolutely amazing. Y'all are going to do what God called you to do. That there were a few people that gave us the side eye. Like, what are y'all doing? What's happening? My in-laws were like, where are you taking our daughter? Where are you taking our grandchildren? What is this place? And all I understood was I needed to be obedient. I needed to do what God is calling us, and I needed to go where he was calling us to be. And listen, Homestead is not the sexy part of Miami-Dade County. Miami is the sexy part. Homestead is something completely different. But he doesn't just call us to obedience to be sheep amongst wolves, but he also says that I need you to be smart like snakes. Look at this still in verse 16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpent and innocent as doves. He's saying, listen, in the midst of this, I need you to be as a sheep, but I need you to be smart like a snake. And in my mind, I'm going, is it possible to be as foolish as a sheep and as smart as a snake at the same time? And apparently it is because this is what God has called us. He says, go into danger without reservation or without hesitation 
And when you get there, I need you to be smart. When you get there, I need you to be intelligent. I need you to be smart. I need you to be as sly as a snake. But I don't want you to just be as sly as a snake. I also want you to be as innocent as a dove. That's the one that got me because in my mind, I'm going, I'm not only in the midst of wolves and I'm a sheep and I'm a snake and now I'm a dove. I need to be as innocent as a dove. And what they're saying is when you're with the wolves, don't let them have anything against you when it comes to your purity. And he says, you need to stay and remain blameless amongst the wolves. And let me tell you, that's tough sometimes because wolves act like wolves. And when they act like wolves, you think I need to protect myself from the wolves. I need to be ready for the wolves. That's that's the thought process. Just last week, we were serving meals to the community and it had got the line had got long really fast. We started serving at 6 p.m. The, the line started. People started lining up around 5 p.m. And they were starting to squash in. We're supposed to be practicing social distancing. So we're trying to encourage people to practice that. But they are moving in. And then their cars lined up. And people are getting a little testy. As a matter of fact, you got people in the line saying, Y'all better not let those people in the cars go before us. We've been standing out here all of this time. And people are wanting what they want, and they come up with a sense of entitlement and like, you owe me this, give this to me. And it's so difficult sometimes not to just, let me tell you something. But in essence, God is calling us that amongst those, we are not to be abrasive or inconsiderate or belligerent. But we are to be innocent in the middle of difficult situations and thereby demonstrating what purity looks like in action. That's what God is calling us to. And let me tell you, that can be difficult for a guy like me. Who feels like at times when I'm amongst the wolves, I need to be a wolf. I just need to be a saved and sanctified wolf. (laughs) But here's the thing. We are so prone to sit back and settle for our religious routine and being comfortable in our Christianity. Why? Because it's safe. It's, It's safe in that space. And you know what? The world likes us in that mode. The world likes us as long as we we live our lives just as everyone else does. Long as we stay in our space and in our lane, going to our little Sunday service and keeping our faith to ourselves, not sharing with everybody, not making anybody feel uncomfortable, the world likes us like that. The world doesn't mind making us feel uncomfortable, but we have to do everything we can not to make anybody else feel uncomfortable. The world likes us like that. But on the other side of that, knowing Christ means becoming more like him, then things won't be easy. If daily we're looking, talking, acting more like Jesus, things won't just be easy. And why? Because God is calling us to be courageous. God is calling us to Christian courage that we have to be courageous during these times. Keep going. 
Look at verse 26. It says, so have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. God is calling us to, to face the fear of being amongst the wolves. Last week, my man PJ, he spoke and he shared with us 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. It says this, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For then things that are seen are transcendent, and but the things that are unseen are eternal. That in essence, we were being encouraged to say those momentary issues that we're dealing with and the inflection and the, that we are encounter now should outweigh, should be outweighed, I'm sorry, by the glory that we'll see moving forward. That the glory that will come later, that should be outweighed, that righteousness that we see in God, we should find that righteousness and trust God. That we should put our trust in him. We should have what, what I would call holy boldness. And I know that sounds real churchy, but we have to be bold. Look at verse 27. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. That in essence, we have to be certain that we're going to proclaim God's word wherever we may be. Speak the truth of God's word everywhere. Speak it clearly, speak it often, and speak it boldly. Why? Because the world needs to hear it. The world needs to hear it. This is the beauty of what we're understanding. The world needs to hear it. But not only do we speak or have holy boldness, we need to sacrifice with reckless abandonment. Look at verse 28. It says this, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body. Now, I, I read verse 28, and, and immediately I start thinking about the words of the great theologian, Notorious B.I.G., and this is what Notorious B.I.G., I don't know if y'all remember this. He says, picture me being scared of someone that breathes the same air as me. He says, why am I going to be scared of someone who breathes the same air as me? In essence, listen, the only person or only being we should be fearing is God himself. As Pac would say, only God can judge me. That the only judgment is coming from God himself. Jesus knows we will be tempted to fear man and to be intimidated by what people can do and say to us. But God is the one and only one that we should be scared of. And I'm talking a reverence, respectful fear. Not the one that's breathing the same air that we're breathing. God is the ultimate judge and he holds all of eternity in his hands. So I'm, 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 I'm with Biggie. Picture me being scared of a cat that breathes the same air as me. 
it has been said that the saints of old feared man so little because they feared God so much. You're going to have to replace your fear of man with your fear of God. Why? Because he's calling us to supreme allegiance. He's calling us to supreme love. Look down in verse 37. It says this. And it says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. God is calling us to ultimate allegiance. And we sh- he should be the highest thing and most important thing in our lives. In verse 39, Jesus tells us we must lose our life in order to find it. We are told that if it is more than worth it to pick up our life, lose it for the sake of Christ. And he says in losing that, we, we gain. As Paul would say, to live is Christ, to die is gain. That we're gaining when we lose. And most of us don't. It's tough to understand this concept of losing is gaining. But this is the upside down world of the gospel, of the kingdom of God. This is what it means to trust in God and believe that he is about everything he says he is. And I get it. That can be difficult. That I believe God is sending us all out. That as he's speaking and, and laying out a commission to these disciples, by implication, he's also laying out a commission for us. That we are sent. It's no secret for those that are part of the movement church that I have said many, many times that all believers are meant to be missionaries. Now, we may have to specify between maybe a foreign missionary and a a local missionary, but I believe we're all called to be on mission. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, either you are a missionary or an imposter. That in essence, we're all sent out. We're all sent on mission to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's not okay, it's not cool for us as believers to just be sitting back in the cut. And listen, you may not be me, you may not consider yourself a pastor or an evangelist or any of those things, but all of us has evangelized something. Maybe it's your barber. Maybe it's your hairdresser. Maybe it's your nail tech. Maybe it's all the things that we can't do at the moment. But you've said, hey, my guy can cut. Or man, my girl can do some hair. Or you need to go to this salon because man, they kill it over there. Let me help you. You're evangelizing for that spot. And what I'm saying to you is, that's what we should be doing. Listen, it's easy to be able to say, man, I know you're going through something, but let me tell you who helped me. Let me tell you who who changed my life. And you can take it for what it is. 
But I truly believe God will do exactly what he said he will do. And Jesus is still king. And this is what God is calling us to, to lose our lives so that we may gain it. So as I close, I want to do, I want to pray. I want to pray for two things. I first want to pray that God would give us supernatural awareness of the conditions of our community and the loss in our community. He would make us aware. He would make us aware of the loss in our workplace. He would make us aware of the loss in our school. He'll make us aware of the loss in our neighborhood. Make us aware of their conditionings, that he would give us eyes to see with compassion down in our belly that they need to know Jesus. But not only that we would pray for that, but we would also pray that God would give us sacrificial obedience to the commission of Christ. That we would not become, we would not only become more aware of what's around us, but that we will become more obedient to the commission that we've been given by our king. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, thank you so much this morning. And thank you for this message of truth and what we've been called to be and to do as believers. So Father God, I pray now that you would give us an awareness Father God, that you would help us. Father God, a supernatural awareness of the condition of our community, of the condition of the loss in our family, in our homes, in our schools, on our jobs, in our neighborhood. Those that are harassed and helpless. Those that are sheep without a shepherd. That needs to know the good shepherd. Father God, that we would be obedient and go as sheep amongst wolves. And as we are there, that we will be smart and intelligent as snakes, Father God, and that we would be as gentle and pure as doves. But not only that we would be spiritually and supernaturally aware, but Father God, that we would be obedient. We will be obedient to your call. We will be obedient to your mandate and commission to go. To walk in your authority, to walk in your might, to see lives changed and transformed, not because of us. Like these disciples, we are a broken, motley crew that desperately needs your guidance and direction to serve our community well. Father God, I pray for those that may be listening to this message now and they have not made a conscious decision to give their lives to you. Father God, I pray for surrender. Father God, I pray for obedience. I pray for repentance. And that they will allow you to come and live inside of their hearts. Move only the way that you can, Father. That we will not operate, walk, and move in fear of the neighborhood you've called us to, the community, the job, the school, but that we would stand boldly, that we would speak clearly, boldly, 
unashamed of your message of truth, wherever we may be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're out there and you are listening to this message and you may have made the decision to say, I need Jesus. It's simple. You can go before the Lord now in your own space and say, God, I understand and believe you are king. And I believe by faith that Jesus, you not only died, but you got up from the grave. And I'm not only confessing you as Lord, I want to live a life that proves to the world around me that you are Lord of my life. If that's you, I would love to talk to you. I would love to have an opportunity to engage with you. You can reach me at elders at moveccc.org. Or you can jump on the, la- on the website at moveccc.org. And if you go to contact us, there's a little connection card you can fill out. And I promise someone will reach out to you. If you want to engage with your family after this message, you can also go to moveccc.org, go under resources, and there are discussion questions there that you can answer and discuss together with your family about what you've heard today. God bless you guys and thank you so much. If you got any questions about how you can give and support the work that we're doing, it can be found on the website as well. God bless you guys. Love you. Peace.